Balotelli. Aguero! Lewandowski goes through again. Oh, he just can't do it. You just cannot be that good. That is an amazing goal. I think he's scored a goal every time he's had a shot. What's going on, guys? We're back with the 50 plus one football podcast, your home for all things Premier League and Bundesliga. We've got a lot of topics for you, but today with me as always, the 0-4 to my Schalke, Billy. At this point, we're just robbing it in. Yeah, more or less. But this week, we have a whole host of things to talk about, including a memorable Merseyside derby for the blue half of Liverpool, West Ham winning their annual cup final, and then the title race is back on in Germany. The potential for the last Rivera derby for quite a while. And has Marco Rose already checked out the Gladbach? Well, I think uh, we can just jump right in with the Merseyside derby because that is the first Everton win at Anfield since 1999. If that doesn't tell you how messed up and how crazy this season has been I don't know what will it's crazy but I think especially after the win Liverpool had against Leipzig in midweek people were expecting it probably the other way probably a 2-0 yeah, Liverpool yeah. win but they just didn't start at all it, it didn't it didn't help that Henderson went off injured. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, we were talking to, you know, our good friend, Greg, who's a Liverpool fan. He said that, you know, the, the Premier League don't really give a lot of recognition to how bad Liverpool's injury crisis is. And at this point, I actually am inclined to agree with him. Because, yes, I know, you know, Klopp has been very, very often let's say let's say he's been very whiny in the last few matches um or last few matches during the whole season really but you know at this point it's not even funny anymore like you they're already pulling a, a midfielder to their into their back line because they're so short of players who can actually play the position and then now he gets injured you know, at this point, Liverpool is going to be finishing the season with about three first team players and the rest all just going to be for their under from their under 23s or their or their under 19s. It I've, is ridiculous. I've got a rebuttal for that because I don't think there should be any sympathy for them at all. Because if you want to be a great side, if you want to be one of the iconic Premier League sides, you have to have strength in depth. And yeah, uh, you know, we we were we were sold this narrative that that Liverpool team last year was the greatest Premier League side ever. But in 1999, United won the treble and then retained the league in 2000. Uh, when Yapstan was arguably the best centre half in the league, then he missed most of the season after 2000 2001, and United 
retained it for a third consecutive year. You know, that is an iconic team. That is strength in depth. I've said it for the last two years. I keep saying it to, to Greg and like our, our mates that support Liverpool. Last season, they were incredibly lucky with injuries. I kept saying, you know, oh, if Van Dijk gets injured, or if, if Van Dijk or Allison get injured. And this season, it's just all happened in one go. They've got no strength in depth. Shakiri is bang average, which is why he got relegated with Stoke. Yeah, okay. I'll give you the fact that, you know, they, they are not top in depth. But let's be real here. Yes, they had the chance to sign, and I'd argue they did do they did use that chance. And they, did, I mean, signing Diogo Jota, I mean, he immediately made that team better. But if you're looking at their injury list right now, I'd argue Joel Matip is not your first choice center back, so he's already there for depth, he's out till the summer. Joe Gomez and Virgil van Dyke, arguably the starting center back pairing, both out till the summer with knee injuries. That's already three guys out of your back line who are missing. And that, and that, you know, if we're being honest, the average team has a back line, you know, maybe four center backs, maybe five. If three of them are already out injured for most of the season, I think that's a little bit harsh saying that they don't have any depth. And also, you know, you said United retain, you know, the, this was a team for the ages and you, you know, for, for instance, United retained the league or, you know, Chelsea have retained the league as well. Those were under normal circumstances. This circumstance, I think it's, I think it's going to be unfair to say to Liverpool, Oh, this should have been the team for the ages, but then, you know, expect them to do it when this season is like none other that any person has ever experienced in our lifetime or the lifetime before. Yeah, okay, but injuries are a part of football. So COVID situations aside, that is not affecting the injuries that Liverpool are getting. Because apart from Van Dijk, they're all non-contact injuries. No, it's no, it's not. But that's but that actually plays in perfectly to what I'm saying is uh, to what to the point I want to make next is that this Corona schedule, with the fact that you're basically playing midweek matches more or less from the beginning of the season onwards it's extremely taxing combine that with you know the start stop with the lockdown in the previous season and then also the lengthy the or the you know the crunched in tournament for champions league then you also add in the crunch schedule that obviously you know when we had to com- when everyone had to accommodate for last season being longer than it was i think we still have to take that into a, into account and say that is the reason Liverpool are getting injured so much because you just said it yourself. They're all non-contact injuries, which means that is definitely down to fatigue. I don't know because they don't have any depth anyway. They didn't have... If, if Van Dyke, Joe Gomez and Joel Matip are all fit, right? They could sign yeah. Orzan Kabak from Schalke. They've still only got two other decent centre-halves. Neko Williams, he's young, but he's not up to it. Shakiri is 
bang average at best. The Ox is very hit and miss. Nabi Keita, it's not happened for him. Divo Karigi, no, not Premier League standard. They signed Konstantinos Simikas in the summer. Why? And Ben Davies from Preston, which they wouldn't sign in any other season. I'd even so, go as far as to argue that, um, you know, I'll, I'll play devil's, devil's advocate here for a second and just say that the signings, I'll give you that the signings aren't optimal because also I'd argue Minamino. Why? Well, he's gone out on loan to Southampton. So that speaks volumes about how, how Jurgen Klopp feels about him. Injury yeah. crisis can't be that bad if you're letting a, an attacking player leave. I'm, I'm very... I know, are you looking at me like sort of like is this guy serious? And I am no, but but here's the thing: I'm 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 slow. Like I am agreeing, or I it, I'm finding hard finding it hard to stick to it because the fact the players you just named, I fully agree that you know if you look at that team, depth wise, probably not the best. But the same could be said if you take a look at Bayern, for instance, and say you know the the signings they made with. Chubomoting, Bonassar, uh, Douglas Costa, and Thiago Dantas, they're all not signings that any Bayern Munich team should be making, really. Well, that's the thing. I was I was going to say, I think the only reason you're sympathizing with Liverpool at the moment is because Bayern are going through the same thing. You've got what, nine first teamers out with COVID and injuries? Well, no, nah, I mean, it's slowly coming back, but, you know, you know, Goretzka and Martinez returned from the COVID uh, ban or quarantine, basically, at the weekend. But that's, you know, yeah, they were injured. They weren't, they're not, they're still not fully fit. Let's leave Liverpool for a minute. I want to talk Everton because as, yeah. as much as Liverpool are affected by all these excuses that Jurgen Klopp can come up with, Everton played really well and dubious penalty decision or not, Liverpool didn't deserve anything from that game at all. Oh no, that that, that game was Everton. You know, Everton would have won it 1-0 or they would have won it 2-0. The penalty, yeah, I mean, all day. I don't know how a referee can give that as a penalty. I mean, he literally just trips over what is Alexander Arnold supposed to do in that in that sense? You know, vanish in a puff of smoke. Yeah, I don't get how that was given when Calvert-Lewin just runs into him and falls over. The best part is Calvert-Lewin actually wants a penalty out of that as well. I mean, he knows exactly what he's doing. Oh, definitely. It's a little bit over the top. But anyways, we're talking we're get, we're going off topic here because Everton took the game to Liverpool. Liverpool didn't seem to have an answer. And if we're talking, you know, offensively, they were uninspired and didn't have a clue as to how to break down that Everton attack. No, it was... Oh my God, sorry. Someone's just sent me the uh, the PSG result. They lost 2-0 to Monaco. Lol. Sorry. Oh, look at that. Nico Kovac doing bits. <laughs> um, no, I, they didn't have any idea on how to stop Everton from playing. And it showed in the first three minutes. You know, it, the defence at Liverpool, it just, it was like, you know, when you get two of the same side of a magnet yeah, and they just push apart from each other. It was like that. They just split. <laughs> it's a good ball from James Rodriguez and it's an even better finish from Richarlison. 
but you did tell me any number 10 in the league should be making that through pass. Yeah. It's still a nice pass, but I think any number yeah. 10 in the top, top six, top seven. Yeah, you're probably right. I'll give you that. Yeah, I'll give you that much. But, you know, at the end of the day, still have to make that pass, still have to produce. But, you know, it's, it, it is, it's baffling to me how Everton, you know, slumped so much because they obviously have the squad, they have a manager, and they have the skill set to play relatively well. Better than, better than what, they, what they gave us, you know, I'd argue around October, end of October till about end of January. Yeah, but I think a lot of that coincided with Richarlison being injured. Yeah, but Calvert-Lewin at one point was leading leading the Premier League as top scorer. Yeah, but they play so well together. And then, you know, Richarlison came back and then a few weeks later, Dominic Calvert-Lewin got injured. And... You know, the way Richarlison stretches the play, he creates the space, he occupies the defender for Dominic Cavett-Lewin to drift into. Yeah, yeah. And if you have to replace him with Alex Awobi, then... Yeah, Alex... uh, Do you know what? Liverpool and Everton seem to have the same amount of depth in their squads. It's ridiculous. But let's leave Merseyside and head down to London. Because we now have a new team in our top four of the Premier League. If you told me this was going to be the top four, I would have told you after the first and second place, get, get the hell out. So we've always got, obviously got Manchester City at, in first place, Manchester United in second, Leicester City in third, which, you know, given at least throughout the whole season, we've seen why they deserve to be up there. But still, I wouldn't have pegged them to be in top four. And now, for the ultimate surprise, West Ham United, a team who finished about 16 places lower almost last season. Okay, not obviously not that bad. They didn't finish 20th. I know that. But they were miles away from top four. They've now managed to squeeze into the top four. There are two points ahead of Chelsea. Irons! <laughs> and and they're, they're five points ahead of Liverpool. And this all with a manager who, as Andy Tate said, I'm sorry to say it's Moise. It's stupid. It's like... <laughs> Every, every season, there's that weird, crazy anomaly team. Last season, it was Sheffield United being like fifth at one point. Yeah, yeah. And this season, it's West Ham. And you look at the team, you know, Craig Dawson should not be keeping as many clean sheets or playing as well as he is. <laughs> you know, two relegations in like three seasons or something with West Brom and Watford. And yet, he's found some ridiculous form and is like a rock. Thomas Socek. Revitalizing signing. Yeah, I think it's ridiculous because he just looks like a big 
lumpy target man. <laughs> but he's got more finesse than Fellaini ever did. Oh, yeah. And then... Without a shadow of a doubt. And then, obviously, you know, signing of Messi the... Messi uh, Lingard. Signing of the season. <laughs> I mean, the guy... You have to give him credit. He's scoring. The kid is scoring for West Ham. You know, he's already got three goals in four matches. And this is a guy who couldn't get a he couldn't get a minute at Manchester United if he tried his hardest. And now I don't know. You they, you've got Fabianski in goal. The guy's 35. Lucas Flappy Hansky. There you go. But thing is, you, you yeah, you look at it and it doesn't look like a great team. No, it's, it's the way they're playing. It's constant. The energy levels are so high. Can we just appreciate the fact that out of their four goalkeepers, only one of them isn't 35? Which one's that? Nathan Trott. I was say, because David Martin is very old. Yeah, David Martin and Darren Randolph are both also 35, as well as Fabianski. The only, <laughs> the only one, Nathan Trott, he's 22, and I've never heard of him before. There you go. But then again, 35 is still relatively quite young for a goalkeeper. I wouldn't say quite young. It's, it, 35 for a goalkeeper is relative. I, I could say, you know, as, a, as an outfield player, that's probably, you know, where you'd be around 32, 33 career-wise. Maybe 31 in some goalkeepers' uh, cases. True. I think Fabianski's been a Premier League main... He's been a mainstay in the Premier League for years. You know, Arsenal... Swansea, Swansea. Now, now West Ham. He's always been dependable. It's just if he can mm. stay fit. Yeah. But it's it's unbelievable. And when we had Casey on, he said mm. the same thing. In every single post-match interview, David Moyes is like, oh, well, this is what happens when you get given time at a club. <laughs> so, he, But he's not wrong. Because the no, first he time is, he was he at West Ham, well, good awful. No, he, he he isn't. That's the thing. And you, here's where I, I have to say I'm I'm going to disagree with Casey because Casey said he he didn't believe that in England there's a lack of respect for the process. A hundred percent think there is, still is. It just depends on which team you're going to look at it. West Ham are one hundred percent going to have the time and the patience with a manager, unless they're you know rock bottom of the Premier League. To, to get something out of them. Manchester United, on the other hand, if you're not performing by the third match, you're screwed. Well, that's the thing. And it's funny you mention that because I've been saying for a couple of weeks now, it could potentially be the end of Mourinho at Spurs quite soon. Well, if we're looking at the fact that we were saying Spurs were still potential title candidates about... <laughs> two months ago when they were still, you know, they, they were in striking distance of top four. They were on fifth, like stayed cemented fifth position. And now they've dropped to ninth. I mean, they'll they be lucky game in to hand get above, uh, over Arsenal. They'll be lucky to get Europa League football because they're level on points with Aston Villa who have a game in hand over Spurs. Granted, that game is Man City. But st- still... They're four points 
off of off of Europa League. That's ridiculous. And you look at the other teams around them. I think Chelsea, Everton. I'm still going. I'd still back Chelsea to even to my to maybe make a push for top four. Potentially, it depends how long West Ham can keep this up. Yeah, but yeah. then again, I would have said that earlier on in the season when this run first started. Like, oh well, how long can they keep? Up? They've got Man City next weekend, and the weekend after they have Manchester United. It's going to be full. That's a full schedule right there. So that's two massive games for their European hopes. I think any West Ham fan going, oh, we're going to get Champions League football. I think that's a bit premature. A little bit, just just a tad. But if I was a Tottenham fan, I I don't I don't oh, understand. Be, I can't. You'd be thinking, what the hell is going on? I mean, if if we're also being if we're also looking at you know you got. Chelsea also have Liverpool on the fourth of March, and after Manchester having United after play, in their yeah next game, yeah exactly United in the next game, and then they have Everton on the eighth of March. And there are some massive games coming up. Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry, but Chelsea's next three matches are crucial if they want to get top four. United, Liverpool, and Ch- and Everton, arguably the only match I see Chelsea potentially losing, given the run of form. United. Because looking at Liverpool, Liverpool at this point are nothing special anymore. No, and I think because it's away from home and you look at the way that Chelsea, they had a lot of the ball against Southampton, but they did very little with it. Yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, any other player in that situation that Danny Ings is in, if you've got a defender in that situation, they don't dive in. That's (laughs) such a forwards tackle. Yeah, it's... It was a clumsy challenge, but you know, I'm still going to back Chelsea just because that, just because of the fact that you know Tuchel needs a bit of time to sort sort out. You know the the fact that he, the fact that Chelsea aren't making anything of their possession because you know we we've seen it time and time again. I mean, it's a tale as old as time. Just because you have eighty percent possession in a match does not mean you're going to win anything. Oh, More often than not, it may it means you're probably going to get countered the hell out of, and then, you know, that twenty percent will still meet will still have about two goals more. But I'm I'm going to still make the bold prediction that Chelsea only lose to United in their next few matches. I say they that's, beat Liverpool, and I say they beat Everton. That's a bold chat. We'll come back when they beat United and lose to the other two. Oh, oh, Jesus! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it probably will happen. Now that now that I've said that, it'll probably will happen. But two quick things before we move on from West Ham Spurs. Gareth Bale, discuss. Well, you start with the guy. He's been about as helpful as a monkey in a freaking race car. For Spurs, he's literally. I cannot come. I, I, I'm blanking on any analogies for unhelpful as hell. But you know, the he's so ineffective. He's unbelievably ineffective. He just not. He just hasn't gotten into the team. I don't know why, because 
if we're being honest, Spurs right now, they looked so good with Son and Kane connecting at the beginning of the season. That fire's more or less gone out. I would just throw in, start throwing in Gareth Bale if he's fit enough. That's, that's the thing. That's the argument is even on a bad day, he's probably more effective than Eric Lamella, who I've never had any, not respect, but I've never rated him at all. He's probably, I'd say Gareth Bale is even more effective than Lucas Mora to some degree. Maybe. I think when he's on it, he's more effective. Because he came on at half time today. And for the first like 15 minutes, he really wasn't very effective. But then he started finding pockets of space behind Declan Rice. Yeah. And I think people also underestimate the amount of experience Gareth Bale at this point has in his career. Yeah. But he's got to use it. You know, earlier on in the season, when West Ham scored that last minute goal to draw 3 0. He comes on when it's 3-0 up, has a ridiculous opportunity to make it 4, and misses it. You're not wrong. I mean, here, I, here we still go back to what I just what I said at the beginning. It was just he's so ineffectual. Well, he'll probably be without a team come the summer. I can't see Real Madrid keeping his contract, and I can't see Tottenham signing him on a permanent deal. There's no, there's no upside for for Spurs to sign him on a permanent deal because he they haven't used him. Yeah, they, there's no, they, there's no positive to that. There's no winner. No, no. In that, and I, this the second one. Hmm. Can you see Daniel Levy backing Mourinho in the summer if they don't get any European football? Depends on how much patience Daniel Levy's got. Because if we're being honest, Spurs only made Europa League by the skin of their teeth last season. But then you also have to say that Mourinho didn't get the... Or he came in mid-season, so he, he, had, he had to work with what he had. So for that, in that sense, probably did very well. I think it'd be stupid to ask Mourinho at this point just because Corona hasn't allowed... Spurs to do any sort of business what that they that they would do ordinarily. So I think you have to wait a little bit for or give them a little bit of time before you ask Mourinho because it's this season this season was going to be crazy no matter what. So to ask Mourinho at this point in time after having a little over like you know a little over one and a half seasons was just be way too premature. You need to have a little bit of patience. I know Spurs are way below expectations, but they still need to have a little bit more patience. Yeah, but then you risk Mourinho doing what Mourinho does, turning it even more sour. He's already started to do that with Deli Alley. Do you th- would you say it's going to go more or less the same route as it did uh, did go at uh, United? I think it'd go even worse. I don't think he'll last this the rest of this season. He won't be there next season if it carries on this way. They talk about Mourinho's third season syndrome. It's just... It's sad because he, he was such a good manager and there's just such a decline. 
Yeah, but even take a look at his time at Manchester. Uh, Manchester. Take a look at his time at Real Madrid. Came in 2010. He barely made it to 2013. That's the thing. It's his third season syndrome. And Chelsea, uh, he did he did he last three years in either stint? I don't think so. Uh, second no. second stint second stint definitely not. But the first two and a half. Has he lasted more than three seasons anywhere? Maybe Porto. Into Milan, his third season, he won the treble and then went to Chelsea. Yeah, and they and and Chelsea paid a solid amount of money to get him over. I think it was something like I think it was either five or six mil. But that's not Mourinho anymore. No. And you look at the team that played today. It's so negative. So you've got Eric Dyer. Okay, granted. I mean, you've got Toby Alderweireld on the bench, for Christ's sake. You can't look me in the eye without laughing and tell me that Eric Dyer is better at the back than Toby Alderweireld. No. I, do you know what? I'll, I'll re, I think I'm going to rethink the, or, or I'll revise my answer to, to that question. The, I, th- I think the, the, thing, the thing would be to give Mourinho time to you know, get his tactics sorted, if that makes sense. But, you know, mentally and, uh, and, and personality wise, he's poisoning the chalice at Tottenham so much with the way he operates in and around the club when it comes to, you know, relationships that I think Daniel Levy's probably going to get rid of him. Same thing happened at United. I mean, we were a, a few places higher up, but it was the oh, uh, it was his fault or he's not good enough. Which sometimes is is all right, but when it's clearly the team that you're picking, I just can't see it lasting very long. It's actually quite sad. But we'll move on to Germany, which was also very interesting because we have a title race again, ladies and gentlemen. You know, we we really went to town. Specifically, I went to town on you know the other. <laughs> Bundesliga teams for not capitalizing on Bayern's mistakes. Leipzig are now capitalizing on Bayern's mistakes. Bayern have a draw and a loss the last two games, and Leipzig made up the ground. They made up the points. And I'm I'm eating my words, but you know, I'm doing it with a bittersweet taste in my mouth because, you know, on the one hand, yeah, Bayern aren't playing well, but on the other hand, we still have a title race going. I was gonna say you kind of wished for this. So if anything, it's your fault. But uh, if if you'll allow, if you if you'll uh, indulge me for yes. just a, a br- the briefest of moments, every when that full time whistle went, every single fan in Germany was like this. God damn it, Bill! I'm just a huge fan of sport. I'm just a huge fan of sport, <laughs> but. Okay, I'll let in, you have that. <laughs> as much as I did enjoy seeing Bayern Munich lose, because it's it's almost like a novelty. They've got but, as many titles in the last season as they do losses. Exactly. So indulge me for a second. 
<laughs> but you okay? I'll go in defense of Bayern, and then I'll go against Bayern. Okay. So, other than Javi Martinez mm. and the young English lad, Jamal Muziala. That's the one. I didn't recognize anyone on your bench. So, I'll let you have that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but against Bayern, it doesn't excuse the fact that the first team players you had on the pitch can't defend for shit. That's a fair assumption. I mean, Niklas Zula is just way too far from Amin Yunus. I, granted, Amin Yunus put the screamer of his life past Manuel Neuer. That was a great goal. Jesus Christ. I mean, I, I sat there watching and I was like, you know, yeah, crap. But, you know, on the other hand, you have to give it to him. Because Frankfurt were by far so much better in the first half. I mean, Bayern just going forward had no ideas. Not whatsoever. I think Lewandowski had like five touches on the ball the whole first half. He was non-existent. Leroy Sané did couldn't thread a through pass to save his life. Kingsley Coman was just basically becoming the pace merchant that Adam Atriore is and was also ineffectual. Chupa Muting, not a number 10 player and, you know, not the greatest striker either. He's barely a Bayern player. Yeah. Mark Rocca in midfield... He just didn't know how to deal with the fact that, you know, Sebastian Rode was just hounding him every second he got the ball. Every second. Kimmich had to deal with the fact that, uh, you know, he had to, he didn't have Goretzka by his side. So he basically had to carry, but he didn't have many ideas either. It wasn't Kimmich's greatest half of football. Niklas Zula, not a right back, and he had major problems containing Philip Kostic because Kostic is just so much quicker. So much quicker. And the rest of the team just didn't, they weren't up to defending, really. They, they just didn't defend. That first goal, Kamana just skips on through, completely unmarked, and puts it home. But do you know the, the worst thing that I noticed about uh, Kamara's goal? Yeah. If he isn't there, Luka Jovic is. That's the worst part. It's two, guys are, two guys are just open. Open as hell. I think nah. the, the thing that sums up Bayern's first half was your best chance of that half. Their best chance of that half came from a deflected Kingsley Coman shot. Yeah, that is pretty telling. The thing that gets me a little bit about that match is the fact that Bayern probably did have a draw in them. If we're being honest, because that second half, Frankfurt did not... Like, they had one long-range shot in the 45th minute, right the first half, first minute of the half. And after that, they did not show up in front of the Bayern goal. They really just didn't. See, I, you might think I'm going to sound a bit crazy and a bit mad, but I just don't think the luck was there. Because a few times, you know, that chance right at the end, across yeah. from Lucas Hernandez, Lewandowski probably in previous matches is jumps that few inches higher and gets onto it or time. Yeah. Or the timing is right there. Yeah. The yeah, cross Kingsley, is better. Kingsley Coman's run is slightly 
well, slightly better timed. And he reaches in at the back post and doesn't head it over the bar. Or he actually scores that tap in that Leroy Sané put served to him on a beautiful silver platter. Yeah. And we, yeah. that's why when we were talking to Casey, I don't think just Upamakano is going to solve Bayern's problems because, and your board would be completely naive to think so. Because like you said, Nicolas Sula was playing right back and he's not very mobile. No, we, 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 we've compared him to uh, Harry Maguire. Imagine playing Harry Maguire as a fullback. I doesn't bear thinking about. <laughs> but it was interesting to me, and I sent you this, from what Karl-Heinz Rummenegger said yeah. live on TV, where he pinned the blame on Sane for the first goal, on Zula for the second goal, and he said that you paid the price for not showing enough concentration in the opening half hour. And then went on to question whether Sula had a long-term future at Bayern. Uh, this, may, this falls in line with what I maintain as, you know, the, the guys who put Bayern, you know, who led Bayern to the last 40 years to greatness... And by those guys, I mean Uli Hoeneß and Kai-Heinz Rummenigge because you can't take away from what they've done for the club and what they've what they've achieved. It's an unreal feat by two guys who, in the way they've managed the club. But in their in their later years, have gone a little bit senile almost because that's just not good leadership. Imagine I don't know Daniel Levy goes in front of the press and you know puts the blame of. The, of Spurs losing on, you know, Harry Kane and Hoi Son. You don't single out players. That's that, first of all, if anyone gets to do that, that's, that's the manager. That's a manager's job. And secondly, a manager doesn't do that on live TV without having talked to the players first. And, and thirdly, you know, a player knows when he's screwed up. Let's be real. Yeah. And it just seems like he needed someone to blame and he just wasn't a good loser. I was going to say, Which, I think uh, yeah. singling out Nicolas Sula for playing in a position he doesn't play. It's almost like, well, what did you expect? It's like having someone that plays rugby trying to win a breakdancing contest. Yeah, I mean, it, it is... <laughs> I, I'd still argue that I could at least kind of understand why he blames Zula for the goal for the Ami Yunus goal because he was a little too far away from Yunus which allowed him to get the shot off but it's as you said you know it's 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 hard pressed to you know blame individual players when just the 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 personnel situation on the bench and on the on the pitch itself is so dire and blaming Sane for for the for the fact that Zula just doesn't have the pace to contain Kostic. I mean, give me a break. Sane didn't have a great first half, but I'd say he more than made up for it in the second half. I mean, he literally broke two player two Frankfurt defenders' ankles, giving Robert Lewandowski the assist for that goal. He was by far your best player. Yeah, he was the most effective in the second half. So if he, he's going to sit there and still single out Sane. I have a question. Mm-hmm. For you, 
uh, taking away the whole being unbiased and <laughs> professionalism shtick. For you, as a Bayern fan, is it very much a case of saying, you know, so long and thanks for all the fish? Getting rid of Hali Sam and Hali Sam and Carl Heinz. That's, Heinz- that's the one. That's yeah. the one. And Carl Heinz Rummenigge and going, can we have someone new, please? Well, here's the thing. I mean, you know, obviously Rummenigge has his contract till the end of this year, um, after which Oliver Kahn full on takes over. So that's a, that transition's already gone through. So do you think may- he's just? Do you think it's just the case of I'm going at the end of this season? I might as well ruin it while I'm here. It just, it, like I said, he seems a bit senile, in my opinion. You know me very well, and what what I think about Hasan Zalihamidzic. I, I think we can't repeat is, it on here. He is the most ineffectual sporting director I've ever seen work at Fayan, and he does not. I mean, he was he was just he was just appointed to be Rummenigge and Uli Hoeneß's uh, poster boy. And, and megaphone, really. He was there to basically say whatever those two wanted him to say. And I, I personally don't, re- don't understand why he is even remotely close to making any executive decisions when it comes to their, when it comes to Bayern's squad. But yeah. I, that yeah, Amazon I'm, documentary is going to be really interesting. If there's any oh. amount of depth to it, like there is with the Tottenham one where they talk to Daniel Levy. Oh, I if can't they, wait. If they talk to Karl-Heinz Rummenigge and Early Hernis, it'd be interesting to see, you know, Oliver Kahn get Karl-Heinz Rummenigge by the throat at some point. I I, I want to know. I want to know if, if Oliver Kahn's just say, sitting there thinking the whole time, just, oh, why, why are you? No, just no. I wouldn't do this. I wouldn't do this. I wouldn't do this. Yeah, uh, oh, well. But I think we've, we've, we've talked enough Bayern for for a while we we're looking at the table now obviously life is just two points behind Bayern Wolfsburg and Frankfurt both level on points on 42 so they're only seven I mean I say only they're seven points behind Bayern we still could see a two-horse race but looking a tad further down Leverkusen and Dortmund who I think we both would have pegged to finish top four definitely Leverkusen on 37 points, Dortmund on 36. Leverkusen managed to get a meager 1-1 draw against Augsburg, so nothing special there. And I said they were still going to make top four. I think I might... I mean, I don't want to jump the gun or anything, but you know, I might have to revise that and say they're making Europa League at best because they're just not bringing it. I mean, they got, they got dicked 4-3 against Young Boys Bern in the Europa League at the midweek. Oof. It's just not what you expect, really, is it? No, um, it's not. Yeah. A team that's got aspirations, like you'd assume that Bayer Leverkusen have. Yeah. I think... Especially to, with the way... Yeah, the way they played. Yeah, I think they'll be more disappointed with that than anything. Yeah, and I mean, they, they, it wasn't like they were in a bad position. You know, right before Christmas, it was the top match. It was a top two showdown between Bayern and Bayer. 
this is barely a month and a half ago. Football's funny. Yeah, but something not so funny, and we alluded to it in the uh, intro. Did we just see the last Revier Dabby for a long, long time? Yeah. In a word. <laughs> because genuinely looking at that Schalke team, barring some full-on like factory reset of that entire club, top to bottom, they're not yeah. good enough for Bundesliga 2. You know, they're going to struggle against teams like Eintracht Braunschweig yeah, and things yeah. like that. <laughs> it's hard to argue that because, I mean, if you looked at their DFB Pokal performances against teams that were, you know, lower league, it, it was it was still, it seemed like they belonged on that same level, which is a little bit sad. I mean, if you, if you just look at the chances that they still did have, because Dortmund as... You know, as much as they probably look to have had just a solid time of it, they made some silly, silly decisions at the back, which allowed Schalke to have opportunities to score. But Schalke couldn't even ter- they couldn't even take those. Well, that's the thing. They had 13 total shots and only two on target, which is probably the stat that sums up their season. A lot of effort, but very, very little end product. Yeah, and it was watching that game. It also it annoyed me a bit because that was the the main reason I was so confident Sevilla would win on Wednesday night because yeah. of the stupid yeah. mistakes they make at the back. Yeah, and it annoys you when you don't get punished for those because then there isn't a a thing in your mind that goes oh. Maybe I shouldn't do that next time. And you keep I'm, doing yeah. it and he gets ingrained in you. I am Mats Hummels who gets a back pass and literally loses the ball at the edge of his own penalty area. In the Champions League, that gets that is immediately followed by a goal. If they do that not this week, the week after, in the return leg. Papu Gomez puts that, away, puts that away and that's 3-2 on aggregate. Exactly. But but then you, you have to just look forward and then you realize why Dortmund still managed to win against uh, Sevilla because... That Erling Haaland lad's all right. <laughs> yeah, he, he's decent. Nothing special. Just did a side volley scissor kick to score the two nil. But you know, we'll now, that. see, I've got an issue with this, and feel free to argue with me because that's why we're here for mm-hmm. good old debate. I don't think it's as good as everyone's making it out to be because the ball bounces before it goes over the line. Yeah, but I mean, I'd still say, you know, you have to be able to hit the ball like that the way he did. And, you know, he, it was a decent goal. It's not, you know, I wouldn't start comparing it to Cristiano Ronaldo's bicycle kick against Juve. I wouldn't compare it to, I wouldn't compare it to Ibra's scissor kick against France in Euro 2012. 
How's yeah, no, definitely not. That is a scissor kick. That is a scissor kick side volley as they've been described in the textbook. Okay, I'll give you that one. I think the thing that makes it a good goal is probably the context and the game. If it was against yeah. anyone else other than Schalke or Bayern, I think it's just another one of his goals. Yeah, probably. I mean, it's a little bit more artistic. That's why people are going to pay more attention, but that's about it. But yeah, I mean, going back to the to the whole thing, you know, Dortmund going forward, platin gold, basically. Dortmund at the back. Rusty tin. Yeah, if that. If that. <laughs> the, the analogy I like is like a bodybuilder that doesn't train legs. Yes. Oh my days. That is that is literally it. That is literally it. So got these little chicken legs. Yeah. So it's all bulk and it's all arms and traps and shoulders and biceps pecs. and triceps, but there's no there's no leg mass. Nah, them them calves literally go straight down. They're like cylinders. There's no calf definition whatsoever. Yeah, and it's the same thing. If you if you can hit Dortmund in the right area, they'll crumble. Oh yeah. But if you let them if they if you let them punch you, you're done. Stupid, isn't it? The it's last weird. thing I want to mention about this game, because Sancho scored and got an assist. Decent. But you'd expect it against this Schalke team. You would. I'd expect myself to at least bag a goal against this Schalke team. And if they're willing to take me up on that challenge, you know where I am. Don't look at me like that. I'll dust my pumas off and I'll go. Over. <laughs> He's got the pumas and everything. Oh no, I'll give it. I'll give it to you. I'm Chalka. Shout out. We're on uh, Instagram and Twitter. You can find us. But uh, the the thing I took away from that game more than anything was. Jaden Sancho's horrendous German accent in his oh, post-match no. interview. Oh, no. Capable of, and, you know, the, the recent weeks haven't been so good and we haven't got the results we wanted, but I think we showed the fans in the last two games that um, we're still fighting and it's not over to the end. And You know, um, yeah, we just keep working on the pitch week in, week out. And, you know, I mean, Jaden, mate, it's happened to us all. But that is horrendous. <laughs> I don't. You're you're a German national. If I was to talk English with a, a crap German accent to you, would you understand me more? I mean, that just sounds like a very, very bad impersonation, like a bad comedic person impersonation. Like he's trying to be funny, but he just isn't. It's, it's it, very Joey it, Barton. Mm, uh, uh, yeah. It's very, no one speak about this pass. All they speak about is this tackle. And it's like, okay. <laughs> Rain it back, Joey. No one wants to hear that. It's very Steve McLaren. Oh, geez. When he was managing Christ. in, uh, Steve, when he was managing in Holland. Steve. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he's just doing it to try and like fit in more. 
I mean, it, I'm hoping. Uh, I don't know. I I really don't know if he's if he if he's just doing that to take the piss. Then it's I guess it's, you know I, he can at least he can at least say he's trying to be funny. But you know, other than that, it's just terrible. I reckon he's <laughs> lost a bet with someone. He must do. He must do. Jesus Christ. Oh, uh, before we move on to Gladbach. <laughs> so apparently Haaland will demand a contract worth £78 million pounds at his next club. So uh, good luck with that. Sorry? Uh, <laughs> over, what, over what time period? You'd assume quite a large one. I'm not suggesting £78 million pounds over the course of a year. But even if that's 78 mil over five. 78 million. That's still 15.6 mil a year. If it's a, if that's a five-year contract. It, it must be a five-year five deal or a long-term deal. I mean, it's not like confirmed. It's just like a load of reports from like gold and ESPN and things like that. But I mean, we judging by his agent. Well, if his agent's anything to go by, that'll be 70 million in agents' fees. Alone. On top of the 78 mil. <laughs> yeah. It could just be a tactic to try and put people off, which if it is, that's very good from Dortmund. I was about to say, that's genius from Dortmund. I'm not. And in reality, Zork's... the kid's on like 5 mil a year. <laughs> I'm not Mikhail Zork's biggest fan, but if he's uh-huh. leaking that to certain press outlets to go... Oh yeah, by the way, he wants like 78 mil at your next club. That's very good because that's just going to put a lot of people off. Yeah, you're not wrong. Shall we talk glad back then? Really quickly before we before we leave this. Seeing as they lost the manager. <laughs> you said it. I, th- I think you put it perfectly. Is the guy is just the guy has just morally I mean immorally checked out. Like you shouldn't, but he has. At least that's the way it seems. Because Gladbach, that's not. How often, how often have we said you know they're a start-stop team, but their season's gone pretty well? I can't argue anymore that their season's gone pretty well at this point because it's just, it is just terrible. No, it's just you turning into a, a bad season. It is very much turning into a bad season because at this point, you know. They haven't won since Dortmund, which was the 22nd of January. Their last four matches have been two draws and two losses. And if we're being honest, the teams they drew and lost against, of those teams, the only one in the top four is Wolfsburg, and they drew nil-nil to them. But they lost against Köln and Mainz, who in their own rights have had crap seasons, and Union Berlin, who... Have had a pretty good season for their standards, and are now above them in the table. You don't like to think that a manager would just chuck in the towel with half a season to go just because he's got a new job, but he didn't cut a very concerned figure on the touchline. Yeah, it didn't really seem like he cared all that much. I mean, Gladbach had aspirations to make it at least to the Europa League, if not Champions League. They're now on eighth. They're closer to dropping into the t- midfield of the table than they are to getting even Europa League, let alone Champions League. 
Champions League's nine points away. That's what I mean. I think that their best hope of winning, sorry, their best bet of getting Champions League football now is to win the thing. And if they play against Man City like they did against Mines, it's going to be like 8 0. Oh, they'll get bent over. And that's not an exaggeration. No. The only way they'll make European football at this rate is if they beat Dortmund in the quarterfinals of the Dave Papel Cup and win the whole thing to get secure themselves a place in the Europa League. But even then... Are they yeah, the okay. Two, sorry, are they the two, in inverted commas, best teams left in the DFB Pokal? Dortmund and Gladbach. Well, if you don't count uh, RB Leipzig. Oh, well, no, maybe not. Then. It's probably Leipzig's cup to win then, isn't it, really? I mean, if, if there was a better chance for Leipzig to win the cup, then yeah. But then you also have to say that Wolf, Leipzig are playing Wolfsburg. That's true. You Bear never know what surprises. Yeah, exactly. Vichos could just, you know, come up with a masterclass. Well, before we finish, I just want to go back to the Leipzig game quickly. Oh, I think I know exactly what you're going to talk about as well. And I wanted to say it just now. The player that I love to hate. <laughs> Matteo Genduzzi dived in his own box and Nordi Mukieli scored. It was lovely. I mean, you just call that karma, though, wouldn't you? But the thing is, if he doesn't throw himself to the ground, he probably blocks the shot. He probably does. But, and also, can we just appreciate the fact that if he didn't have, you know, three meter length long hair, then he probably wouldn't have gotten you know, any contact whatsoever. Because that's the only way he felt the need to go down is because his hair got pulled a little bit. I just don't like him. And I thought it was quite a uh, poetic justice goal. (laughs) I'll give you that. And I think on that note, we'll finish it for this week. Don't forget to subscribe, like, share, comment on our Instagram and Twitter pages. Also, make sure to check us out on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and our RSS feed. But thanks very much for listening, guys. Keep calm. Love the beautiful game.